Once upon a time. Heard that. In the beginning. Plagiarism. Oh, come on. I was alone and my words fell like Icarus from the sky. Dude. Dude. Okay, so I am 16. 5. 10. 25. And, and I am just, just beginning, beginning to write. It's a simple recipe. One part classroom daydream to one part unrequited teenage longing, but from across the void of physics lessons and English classes focusing on the wrong thing, I hear a desperate voice come softly from my brother's speakers. I found blues like a homecoming train. Stories of struggle and breaking hearts, devils and always human. And I'd never heard honesty like that before. It was infectious, so I started listening. Really listening. I wanted to come onto a stage like a gut-punch, punch-drunk force of nature. So I connected a pen to a playlist of Tom Waits and Jeff Buckley, listener and sun-kill moon, folk and indie rock. And then, from nowhere, my brother sent me a link. He did check this out. It was Buddy Wakefield. My town is so cute, y'all. And Nismoj Ghani. In my library there are 17 books. Shane Koizan. To this day, I still hate pork chops. John Cooper Clark. The fucking scene is fucking sad. Polly McNish. This country of billboards covered in tits. Sarah Kay. If I should have a daughter instead of mom, she's gonna call me Point B. Andrea Gibson. Ba ba ba, dang a dang dang a ding a dong ding, I do. But that's all I had. Loud voices in a quiet room, a Wi-Fi connection to the words being said, but no way to connect to any of their four million views. And a simple thought, I can do that too. It is 2012, 2013, and I am performing on stage for the first time. It's a new city, alive with art, and I am terrified. Three, Three poets to go. go, and I'm in the audience running lines over and over and over, and two, two poets, poets to go. go. Hold the mic, don't hold the mic. How do people use their hands? Is this natural? One, One poet, poet to go. go. Nobody, nobody panic. panic. Nobody, nobody panic. panic. Nobody panic. Nobody panic. Nobody panic. Nobody panic. Did he just steal my metaphor? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage your next poet, Doug Gary. <laughs> <coughs> Once upon a time I wrote a poem. Good job, kid. Keep writing. Once upon a time I wrote a poem. Come check out my open mic. Once upon a time I wrote a, a poem. You're onto something. Keep going. Once upon a time I wrote a poem. I like your performance style. Once upon a time I wrote a poem. Have you ever tried anything collaborative? Once, Once upon, upon a time, time I wrote a poem. You should do a show at the Scottish Poetry Library. Once, Once upon a time, time I wrote a poem. Make it louder. Make it louder. Make it louder. Make it louder. Once upon a time, I wrote a lie. It was quiet and cliched and said exactly what I meant it to. Then the line grew into a poem, grew into a show. It became all the poems I'd seen, all the towns I'd been to. It is now music and movement, love and bereavement. It is the pieces of me that grew too big for my bones. It has brought me heartache and sleepless nights. Honesty and stage fright, anxiety and doubt, and made me so fucking proud that I can stand here right now and tell you I am a poet and I will always be loud. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Poetry Library's podcast series. My name is Colin Waters and I shall be your host for the next 30 minutes. The poem that you heard at the top of the show is by The Loud Poets whose shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and at festivals in Prague and Brighton have been winning converts, not just to the loud poets, but poetry generally. Now, this collective of poets, their shows are multimedia affairs with films and music, 
A real contrast to the po-faced stereotype of readings many people who've never actually been to a poetry event might have of them. The SPL is delighted because they're going to be performing here on Wednesday the 7th of December at 6pm. Tickets priced £7 or £5 concessions and it's going to be a hell of a way to kick off Christmas. Anyway, I've been wanting to get the Loud Poets in the podcast for a while now and their event was a good excuse. Here we are in the Scottish Poetry Library. I'm joined by the Loud Poets on a very dreary autumn Saturday morning. <laughs> uh, we're all suffering from the cold but we're manfully and, and womanfully going to push forward <laughs> into this interview. So uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves starting with Katie. Hello. Hiya, thanks Colin. Uh, my name is Katie Ailes. I'm Doug Gary. I'm Catherine Wilson. Kev. So I, I first caught up with the Loud Poets um, last August, it was. You were doing a show at the Scottish Storytelling Centre and a, a very slick and very professional show it was. And I wondered if that was a conscious reaction against these very staid, very, I guess, quiet, very polite um, poetry readings that I think people who perhaps don't go to poetry readings think poetry readings are like. The, the kind of tone like that you get with that, the sort of reaction thing, uh, kind of implies that we don't... I'm not saying you're implying, but lots of people have kind of implied that we don't like page poetry or we don't like quieter nights and stuff. And it was never about that. It was initially about the idea of going, well, there's lots of those. Like, you have so many quality nights with, with great poets who are reading from the page and, and doing great work that there was kind of no need to put that on. Whereas our kind of style initially was much more performative. Like, we came from much more you know, acty sort of stage background. So it was, it was an idea of going, well, let's showcase people that have that style um, and give them a place to, to kind of go full throttle with it. Because if you're if you're on a bill with a, a, a night that's, you know, really quiet poets doing lovely page poetry and you come out with something quite big and performative and loud, you kind of maybe will restrict yourself. So we thought, let's go to a spot where people can do whatever they want. So it was a reaction, yes, but not, not to say... Quiet poetry is bad, just we think you shouldn't see reaction, both. not a reaction against. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So you'd all done performances yourself beforehand, so yeah. it's something you were really interested in. Yeah, we all come from different backgrounds, which is, I think, a real strength of what we do, because we can kind of draw on those different things. I grew up dancing quite a bit, Doug does music, Kev does acting, Catherine does a whole bunch of stuff. But but yeah, I think it, I think it's really fun because we all draw on those things. You know, we, we have poems that draw on performance uh, quite a bit. I do poems where I dance, you know, we work with our band quite a lot. They're absolutely amazing, talented musicians who we've... Who've we've gotten to per, uh, perform with and compose with and I think that that's a real a real strength of it and you know it's a lot of fun for us as well. As professional and well produced as the shows are would it be right to say that at the heart of it I think there's almost like a sort of a punk DIY ethos? <laughs> uh, Make it sound so cool Colin. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what I really mean is you know the whole idea with punk is that you know you just get up and do it yourself you know you just you you, you don't let anyone tell you you can't do it so is that kind of sort of your idea at the, at the start you just thought, I, I fancy having a go at this. <laughs> uh, I know for me, like when, 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 I, when I started in the scene, like I had never been to a poetry night before. Like three years ago, I started writing, well, August, August 2013, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, I'd never been to a poetry night before that. Um, and I kind of saw it and just thought it was amazing. Like what a great format to be able to kind of put work out there. Um, and yeah, I never, I never considered the fact that I should maybe learn structures and forms and, and, and things like that because I kind of heard what I liked. And I think YouTube was a great 
skill for that and making it really accessible and it is something we've tried to maintain and I think in a similar vein to, to things like that of going if if you think it sounds good and at least one audience of people sound good and thinks it sounds good then you have a reason to kind of put it out there and um, so as long as we can get like a room full of people <laughs> that enjoy what we're doing then I think yeah it kind of has that ethos behind it but I, I, I think the poetry scene in general has that yeah, yeah. Like, I think poetry is kind of there's a lot there's always somebody like looking to do something new mm-hmm. in the poetry scene or like start up a new night or like, you yeah. know, do a one-off special or do something like it's a it's a big group of very like motivated people I mm, but I think I think when when it was first started especially and the logo and everything the way that the <laughs> word was spread was kind of like you know something really cool and underground is going to happen and it was supposed to be that kind of punk idea mm. The idea was for then people to see that in the same way that they would see going to see a band. It was a cool alternative night out. If you look at the roots of British spoken word, mm-hmm. especially, like we did the Wickerman Festival um, and John Cooper Clark was there. Yeah. And he didn't do the poetry tent. He did like a 2,000 capacity tent and it was packed mm-hmm. out. And so he, you know, has his roots directly in the punk mm-hmm. scene. And there was that kind of idea that, that with sort of, you know, a political message and with, with uh, engaging structure, you can tap people into an art form that they would probably never say they were fans of. I was in a tent with 2,000 guys <laughs> my dad's age, like screaming for John Cooper Clark, who if you asked them in their day-to-day if they were poetry fans, they'd say no. Um, so I think try to, like with LP, we tried to tap kind of more into that and make it, like like Catherine said, like a night to go to, an mm-hmm. event to yeah. be part of. We've always been about um, trying to get people who don't think they like poetry to like poetry. I mean, the number of times that I've, I've talked to someone after the show and they've gone, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I was dragged here by my wife or my sister or my friend. Mm-hmm. Don't like poetry, hated it in high school, didn't want to go, but you guys were ace! <laughs> and and that's what we're going for. Um, and hopefully then what they'll do after that is go on YouTube or go to the poetry yeah. library and find more books and, and find more stuff that, you know, turns them on in that way and they'll start writing as well. Um, that's what we've always been about. I know we've described uh, Loud Poets before as a gateway drug to real yeah, poetry. I mean, that's, <laughs> what, that's what, that's what uh, Kevin Cadwallander said after Last Friend. She said the huge benefit of because he was in our friend show last year and he said the huge thing about loud poets was people who go and see that he he thinks are more likely to go and read like classical mm. poetry absolutely well let's hear some poetry kevin or kev yeah no 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 it's quite all right cool yeah i i get uh often um branded as the love poet in uh in <laughs> lp so i'll do a love poet once she said I was precious to her like a diamond, never realising I would rather be the rough stuff that you find them in. I know she meant it as a compliment, but how do you compare a speck of glitter to the substance of a continent? Honestly, diamonds are pretty stupid. Hey, sweetheart, I got you this ring to prove what my love is worth. All I had to do was rip open the earth and enslave a whole race and their children and their children and their children. Will you marry me? Well, that's not the kind of shiny that I want to be. She said, okay, well, then you're the best thing since sliced bread. I told her if I was a loaf, I'd be 100% crust. The part that nourishes us, no pre-sliced white fluff. I would be uneven and filled with seeds, and you would have to cut into me to see what treasures I bleed. So she went for something simpler. She said, I love the way your hand fits perfectly in mine, and uh, I didn't believe her. 
And it's not that I don't appreciate it a lot. It's that my stomach churns at the thought of accepting a compliment so grand while remaining so self-conscious of my size, my hair, my misshapen hand. And maybe that's why sometimes I lack. And the compliments I choose to give back, see, she never felt at ease when I would play her ribs like piano keys. She would beg me, please, stop. I'm too thin. Couldn't see that all I ever wanted was for her to sing along. Couldn't see that when I kissed the scars on her wrist, I was saying you're strong. Because I understand the war waged against oneself is the hardest one to fight. And so somewhere along the line, we both lost sight of what the other was trying to say, which in its simplest terms is you are pretty great. So the next time someone I love calls me their needle in the hay, I will try and feel less like I'm under attack. Try and see that while everyone else is wearing gold, sometimes it's silver that stands out in the stack. One of the things I really enjoyed about the live show, right, when I caught it, was being a recovering geek myself. I really, <laughs> I recovering? Yeah, I appreciated the, um, the references to certain elements of popular culture, shall we say. So in, in, in that spirit, what is the Loud Poets origin story? I mean, initially we started in 2014, and like I said before, it was that idea of going, well, let's, let's have a night that showcases more performance stuff. Yeah, we did a, like a very strange thing for poets. Like, uh, we went to non-poetry open mics and started doing poems in them to try and get a new audience. <laughs> It went okay, <laughs> like, we're, we're still here, we're still alive, we still have all yeah, our yeah. limbs, but there was some uh, complications, shall we say. It's when you're at a show now and someone will go, yeah. oh that was a tough crowd, you're you like, go, no, 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 no. <laughs> be at Whistle Binkies at 1am when the music suddenly stops and they go, here's a poet, uh, yeah. that's, that's a tough crowd. Yeah. But like, they, were, they were really good, like in terms of like getting the message out there I suppose, mm. and like uh, cementing the kind of poets that we wanted to be, and like slowly over time like we built up this kind of big hype around our first night and then we opened in the student union in the underground uh, bar which is like this just perfect space for like you know doing stuff like we do it was and crazy though because I mean we did like a totally unconventional for a poetry night we did like three four months of pure hype of like yeah. hitting open mic nights hope, you know hitting the, the sort of established poetry open mic nights as well and when we launched that night, had like 180 people yeah. for like a, our first night of a, of a spoken word night. And that's like crazy. I mean, I've still got the picture of uh, the queue going up the steps. You've never been on TV, the, the queue going up the steps and up into the, the sort of main area. I was right at the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting with the origin story. Because yeah. uh, Catherine, like, like she said, she started out as someone who came to the gigs. Um, and that's always been our ethos, part of the ethos as well. It's like... Yeah. If you want to be involved, if you write yeah. and you write our style and you get what we do, then come join in. Just kind of worm your way up to the, <laughs> to the top. Hi guys, can I help out at the door? Hi guys, can I help? Can I help? Like, and then you, then you end up doing this. It was way more sophisticated than that. I mean, I was I let them come so. to me. <laughs> that was my statement. You have class. I yeah, it kind, of, it kind of built up from there. So we, we, run, we ran a first, a first year in TV Underground. Um, well, run February to August. And then we, we decided to do the Fringe. And we kind of locked into our producer and then locked into the Scottish <laughs> Storytelling Centre and then got an audience, yeah. used the band, came back for our monthly nights, incorporated the band into that, mm -hmm. launched in Glasgow the next February, had like a mega birthday weekend, uh, yeah. February just there and stuff. So it's like, it's always just, we kind of go with the flow and take what we can we can find to do. Let's have another poem, Doug. Do you have a poem for us? <laughs> I do. Step up to the mic. Funnily enough, you're mentioning pop culture and stuff, so this has a bit of that in there as well. 
It's also a list poem, and I wrote it specifically to uh, annoy Kev. Yeah, because <laughs> it does. It he really hates list poems, so I thought I'd write a list poem that he wouldn't hate. One. My name is Douglas Gary. I was named by my brother because he liked the sound of it. He also liked Thomas the Tank Engine, and Douglas was his favorite train that day. So, lucky me, I guess. Sometimes I wish I had a cooler name, like Noah or Isaac, something biblical and filled with purpose. I guess this leaves me the opportunity to create my own without inheriting any of their mistakes. Two, I like comic books, video games, and indie movies. So naturally I've thought about what superpower I would have, and I came up with control over time and space. Because some moments are worth repeating. Like, the beginnings of the universe, or watching my future children grow, or the fireside conversations I have with my dad, or the night that I first lost myself to you, because some moments, I would change. Three. Whenever I turn on a light, I keep my eyes closed for an extra few seconds. I do this to appreciate the light, but I wonder when we started convincing ourselves that darkness was something to be afraid of. Darkness is just a challenge, just a place to, for us to shine brighter, just a place to say, hey, screw you to the thoughts that hide there. Four, I've started writing all my thoughts in pencil, just so I can erase them, send the shavings onto the floor in the hopes that passers-by will take them places like exactly where they are needed. More often than not, I write love as much as it's okay, even when neither are true, I believe one day that they will be. Five, I think about love more often than I write about it. Six, I still love you. Seven, I'm a believer in God. I'm trying to live a life that'll make him believe in me. I don't care if that's theologically inconsistent. It is a damn good motivator. Eight. I dreamed I met Kurt Cobain once. Twenty years after the shotgun clicked, he spoke in a ringing in my ears. Twenty years after the shotgun clicked, and he still didn't have the words to say what truly happened that night. Twenty years after the shotgun clicked, and he'd only just started talking to me. It's funny how Pandora's box looks oddly heart-shaped. That's what we keep telling each other. And this is all to tell you that I define my nirvana poetically through the lyrics of a dead man. And it smells like spirits that just grew out of their teens and are looking for a way back again. Six, I still love you. Nine, recently I've been trying to relate everyone in my life to music. My mother is a gospel hymn sung in a house on fire and she does not need saving. My brothers are rock and metal and grunge and punk and all the genres they introduced to me when I was 10 listening to their cassette tapes. My friends are smiling folk songs. At least most of the time. I couldn't tell you whether my dad is smooth jazz or classic rock. Either way, he is more constant than the gray hairs will ever tell you. You, you are most definitely blues. But I won't tell you why just yet. Five. I think about my mistakes more often than I write about them. Ten. I wrote this as a list poem. Because my thoughts, they rarely work in straight lines. It's more like games of word association, and lately they've been coming down to just a few, but I won't say them here. I'm afraid if I take them out of the game, I will never get them back. Five. I think about everything more often than I will ever tell you. Six. We've already heard a few poems, we've got a flavour of uh, what kind of things you hear at a loud poet show, but you know, tell, tell me, let's be more expansive, let's hear a bit more about what kind of sort of issues and themes and subjects you address during the course of a loud poets. Is there anything that's off the table or are there anything you particularly like to concentrate on? I mean, I suppose it's, it, there's kind of two different aspects to, to loud poets I think now, which is sort of the fringe show that, that we do, where we're kind of the bigger focus. Um, or at least sort of our work is kind of makes up the majority of it, um, and then the monthly nights, 
which are, are much more driven by the, the acts that we book. And I think it's nice to have those two separations. Um, and what you see when you're kind of booking acts is, is people will have, you know, sort of issues that they generally talk about that you want to book in, you're kind of building a, a nice array of, of, of different subject matter. But you, like the, the beautiful thing about spoken word poetry, I think, is that you, it talks about almost everything. Like, I don't think there's another genre where you can, you can have in one night me and Doug get up and do nerd love yeah. about, you know, just the geek references yeah. and then have someone like, you know, Matt McDonald get up and write these these beautiful introspective kind of like things about mental health issues and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And and you can book those people back to back. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's the strength of LP is we really mm -hmm. try and harness as much subject matter as we can in an evening. The idea being that if you come along and see our show, you might not like everyone because that's personal preference, but you will love someone. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of always been, I think, yeah. how we pitch it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's very diverse, the things you, you talk about, you know. Um, but I guess it always sort of circles back, and you, you heard that in Doug's poem there, to a certain emotional kind of core. You know, even like, you know, your nerd love poem. Um, it's kind of like a <laughs> friendship, isn't it? Is well, it's everyone, everyone, it's really funny, because me and Doug get accused of being like the funny poets a lot. <laughs> like, I still maintain all of my poems are absolutely depressing. Yeah. Like, you actually cut past like, the, the scrub joke. Big Love and Nerd Love are both, like, unrequited love poems. <laughs> and it's, like, if you actually listen to what we're saying, it's yeah. really it's kind sad. of... It's the It's like... It's hilarious. <laughs> Each of them is essentially just a big mental breakdown of the fact that yeah. nobody would love us. <laughs> Two like big geeky guys yeah. screaming into the dark. Is yeah. the <laughs> but but, it's, but it's, you find what you want to find, and that's the strength of poetry. Again, if you want to see that poem and laugh at the geek references, yeah. then that's great. If if you're you know a geeky guy, you're going to associate with it. If you want to look closer in, you can. And I think with spoken word, the way I was kind of mention it is is you only have the time that's on the stage. Unlike a, a page poem where you can you can read over it and find new nuance and, and find new meaning every every read through. With a spoken word poem, that might be the only time you hear it. So like it has to work on on different levels for people that hear it again and again and people that hear it once. I th but yeah, I think we do try to encourage as many different themes. I mean, within our fringe show, we we always take quite a bit of time to kind of curate what exactly we want there, and there's always a huge range. I mean, in the show this year, we had. Um, pieces about family, we had some political-ish oriented stuff, we had, you know, a, a, a range of, of different materials. I believe you have a poem on this very subject, Katie. I do. This is a piece that, that I've been doing a lot now, um, kind of in, in the age of Trump. I'm from the States originally, I moved here about two and a half years ago, and that's, that's shifted my accent a wee bit. So this is a piece, um, a bit about that. It starts with a true story. So. It is 2014, and I am working as an exchange teacher in a high school in southwest England. We are doing a unit on the poetry of World War II, today a piece written in the voice of the soldier who dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And the teacher turns to me and asks, Katie, would you mind reading it? It would just sound right in your voice. Because this is the voice of the man who dropped that bomb. This is the pitch and tone of the way he phoned it in, the deed done and the way he told his wife he loved her, later, safe at home. This is the generic American accent packaged and sold alongside the dream, but me? I got all of that for free. I was made in America, her trace inescapable on my lips laced with her supersized greasy greed, her creeds too often forgotten, my throat coated with a history I find hard to swallow. 
Each time I open my mouth, I trip over my tongue to apologize for the judgments I am sure you are forming, because for some, I know this voice lands like napalm, acidic on listening ears who still fear ever hearing this voice in their country ever again, and for some, it sneaks in like snakeskin, like the lies we tell, read my lips, and my syllables as our shifting away from responsibility. Our sins bit back, we can talk our way out of anything. Out of guilt, out of shame, out of blame, out of any reason not to bomb that place. America, you green-eyed glutton. I burp back your dollar bill heartburn, your oily feast thieved from other nations, slurp down greedily feeding only yourself as though you have forgotten how to share. I choke on the walls you tell me we need to build to keep out those who don't speak like us. You say, this is America. Speak American. Forgetting that this quilted tongue was cut and sewn from clothes you borrowed from other homes, you forget that we patchwork stitched this speech together, shaped it through conversations between people from a million places, voices converging, rhythms merging into melodies, the mellowing together in the mouths of babes. We made this voice. And then we learned to use it. We spoke those states into being using hope and spit and these tones. This is my mother's tongue. And hers, and hers, my father's low song, my city's prince stamped in. Subtle is the taste of the drinking water, but still there, delicious in its own way. Now I hear my voices shifting, Glasgow rolling my tongue into softer shapes, so maybe, America, your telltale twang will be rinsed from my mouth by the oceans I cross to leave you, leaving only the salty taste of distance. But I think some part of you will stick, a fish hook, dragging me back, tagging me with my birth, so I am learning, slowly, that it's not my voice that matters, it's how I use it. So, you're doing a special event with the SPL at Christmas, yes. what can people expect? Uh, something different, I guess, is how we always yeah. like, we were, we were pretty, we found it pretty bizarre that the Scottish Poetry Library wanted us to come in and do a show. I think that idea... I think it's really cool what the Poetry Library are doing just now, actually. Like, we've we've had more interaction with this building in the last, like, four or five months than we have in the last three years to do an LP. Like, there's a real shift, and you see it in, in a lot of places, like the SPL, you see it in the Scottish Storytelling Centre, you see it at Stanza, like, all these, these sort of places set up or, or, or appear to be set up for literature and literary poetry are starting to see the spoken word scene and see what they're doing and see the sort of like audiences that that's pulling in and realizing that you can merge the two that it's not mutually exclusive you don't have to say one's better and it's really nice to see so like we're really excited to come in and, mm -hmm. and, and do the show here yeah we'll be doing i think a version of the fringe show from this year um with with a, a christmas flare stop on it. saying that there's gonna be no christmas <laughs> i hear those sleigh bells jingling <laughs> <laughs> Christmas hats, but like, yeah, yeah, it has to be that. Yeah, yeah, it was part of our ride, actually. Yeah, 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 and get people to, to look at a different style and look at something they access. I think it'll be nice to have a different crowd because I think our our standard audience for our monthly nights, particularly in Edinburgh, I would say, is a lot of mainly like students, but mainly people who 
kind of just come to Loud Poets and don't really go to other poetry nights. So it'd be nice having it in the poetry library, having a more kind of poetry audience and seeing what they think of, seeing it a bit different. So whether that be off page or whether that be doing more performance or doing it with music or doing it, you know, in a different sphere. And it'll be nice to get people who like poetry <laughs> to see poetry differently and see it in a new genre mm-hmm. and then maybe change how they think about it as well. And that about wraps it up for another podcast. Many thanks to the Loud Poets, Kevin McLean, Katie Ailes, Catherine Wilson and Douglas Doug Gary for coming in on what was a pretty miserable Saturday morning, especially as they, in fact, we all had terrible colds. Just be grateful, dear listener, that I edited out the cough breaks that we had between questions. It was not pleasant listening. Anyway, tickets are going fast for the Loud Poets Christmas show, so if you fancy being in the audience, you can order a ticket online via our website, or you can come in in person to the Poetry Library and buy a ticket that way, but do do it quickly because the tickets are going like the proverbial hotcakes. I should also like to thank Will Campbell for writing and performing the podcast theme, and of course I must thank you too, dear listener, for tuning in. Now, if you're interested in the work of the Scottish Poetry Library, there's various ways you can keep in touch with us between podcasts. There's our website, www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk. There's our uh, Twitter account, at ByLeavesWeLive. That's our Twitter tag. We have a Facebook page. Of course, we've got a Facebook page. And we do Instagram now as well. I think that's SPL Scotland, something like that. It's just about time now, I think, to bow out, and how better to do that than with a poem. So, to finish off the show, let's hear from the loud poets, Catherine Wilson. Most humans, at some point, have the realisation that other humans are pretty weird. You see, we take fruit off of trees, we put it in basements until it turns liquid, drink it until it makes us feel dizzy, and we call this... Friday. We stand... At ages six or seven, gripping our mother's hands and able to communicate that we have just realised that there are seven billion stories out there. That means seven billion lost items, seven billion last goodbyes. Most people have this realisation once or twice. Then we do this thing called repression. We lock it down, push it down, way down, because we have real life. And real life is made of bus tickets, family gatherings, other SAGU. We don't have time to stop and question. I have this crisis every day. Philosophy class, 9am. A sorry for studying this subject who seriously decides to get a degree in overthinking. But I watch. As a lecturer talks about non-judgment individuating ecumenical cognitivism. My mind is elsewhere as I stare at the clock on the wall. And I'm thinking about time and how it's always ever limited to us and clocks with those counting arms counting down. And then I think about arms. And then I think about my arms and how I should probably go to the gym. And then I think about hands, like clock hands, like my hands, like hands of cards, which sounds like the hip popular TV show on Netflix, House of Cards, starring Kevin Spacey. So naturally, I start thinking about space. Choo-choo. Here comes the void. I live in Scotland, the cold cobble streets of which are 563 times smaller than Russia, but Russia only takes up 11% of the world's total landmass and you could fit 109 planet Earths into the sun. 
and some stars make ours look like a tennis ball that's just being casually lobbed through the solar system. NASA took a picture of the observable universe and our galaxy was less than a hangnail and what we now print on mouse mats and my life is just a progression of rooms and it feels long and never ending and if I'm only 20 and the average person lives to 80 it means I'm only a quarter of the way through this and I'm aware that when I look up that space is out there and it is infinite and dark and vast and the average cake is not that big so eating it all doesn't feel so bad in comparison and today I learned about infinity and it means if you had infinity and you put a chimp in front of a typewriter, eventually he would type out Hamlet letter perfect. And some scientists state that there's a near infinite number of universes where things went differently in every single one. And this got me thinking more than I already was. This means there's a near infinite number of universes where the chimp messes up on line one or line 339 or the last line. This means there's a near infinite number of universes where I end up with a thousand cats and I'm beginning to worry that this is probably one of them. This means there's a near infinite number of universes where we never met, where we never spoke and there's at least a few where I accidentally kill you and there's many more where it's not an accident. But there's many where I just sit in doorways drinking gin and shouting at strangers but mostly just overthinking everything like today and every day, staying up three hours past one in the morning because I'm still trying to figure out what all the meanings of hand-holding could be or a text message of nine words could give me another 9,000 words to write on and it's funny how a philosopher's brain can look at the everyday and spend a night of conversation creating whole worlds. Like my first day of class when the lecturer strode in and said, is this chair blue or does this blue have chair and admittedly I did try to leave but now I see the never-ending glory in overthinking because my brain doesn't stick to the train schedules or even actually stay on the tracks because my brain is more like a sunflower always stretching up higher to be closer to my dad who thought so much about Doctor Who that he believed time travel was real and I want to live in that world the one that we all make in here Thank you for downloading this Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.